0: Welcome to Wisdom for Life, where we sit through philosophy to find practical advice that you can use in your everyday life. Hi, I'm Dan Hayes, and I'm joined with my co-host, Dr. Greg Sadler. And today we're talking about... Am
1: I the Jerkhole? Now, if that sounds like a funny word to you, we're actually making it up because we can't say the, the real word on the air... But, you know, it's the thing that everybody's got, sort of like opinions, if you know that that phrase. And there is a Reddit forum that, I don't it's drawn a lot of attention over the years, and it's incredibly helpful from a moral philosophy perspective, because people go on it, and they ask the question, am I a jerk? Or as we're going to say here, the, the jerk hole, it's A-I-T-A, and... A while back, Dan and I did an episode devoted to looking through these and saying, can these be useful exercises or useful cases for thinking about ethical life and decision-making and and all all the stuff that goes into personal development? And the answer is yes. They're also pretty entertaining, I think, some of (laughs) them. And uh, so we're not going to spend too much time rehashing what we talked about back in that episode, and we might do more of these in the future because they're they're so much fun to unpack. Instead, we've got a whole bunch of cases lined up that Dan and I are going to go through and, and examine and analyze and talk about, you know, is somebody the jerk? Is somebody else the jerk? Is everybody? How, how do they put it on the, the forum? Everybody's a jerk. Um
0: Um, everyone sucks here.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, And then, and then there's, uh, so there's the possibility that nobody's bad. Right. Right. So we're, we're going to do a little bit of, uh, Decision making and judgment about them. And and you can, you know, participate in this as well. You can think uh, about them as we're reading it aloud. What would you say about these? You know, we're always happy to get listener comments um, about the show. So before we launch into these, Dan, anything you think we need to hit on? Uh,
0: just to r- reiterate, like the, uh, a large part of philosophy is ethics, and there are many different schools of ethics and we've talked about a lot of them in the past is kind of like one of our go-to uh, topics of conversation but uh, we can talk about theory all we want but unless you're actually starting to put these things into practice um, you're not going to really like find those like edge cases where you're like making you feel uncomfortable and I, I, the whole point of this ex- exercise is that we have the ability to look at actual real-world experiences um and uh, apply our moral theories to them, um, uh, and see how these kind of make the us uh, feel as well as make other people feel that we're actually like utilizing the, this ethical muscle.
1: That's actually a great set of points. You know, one of the psychologists who is is uh, probably most associated with the notion of moral development and moral development theory is Lawrence Kohlberg. And he's got this, you know, these stages like stage one, stage two, stage three, and you move from a pre-conventional sort of just, you know, response to stimulus, punishment and, and reward all the way up through like, you know, looking for social approval or, you know, buying into things like a social contract or ultimately, um, you know, values that can be shared universally. But one of the things that he stresses is that we we learn how to progress from one stage to another, not by being given like a handbook or just a pat on the head. We we actually develop through conflict, through Finding out that we're wrong about things and then readjusting, often not you know happily, but but um, you know, and so I think these these cases can be really helpful. And we should you know the ones that we have picked out because we went through um, you know the many thousands that are available on the forum. They're they're adding you know maybe I don't know hundreds a, a week. We we wanted to pick those that are kind of difficult, that don't have an easy, oh, it's it's this way or it's this way kind of solution. And that's so that we can really sink our teeth into them and, and maybe learn something in the process. Right. Hey, well, so there's a, something I wanted to have us consider before we jump in, and I think this is a really interesting issue. So there's this quip from Jonathan Tropper, The Book of Job, and I don't know that I completely agree with it. He lists it as Descartes' jerkhole axiom, I think therefore I'm not one. And so what he says is the fact that I suspect that I'm a jerkhole means that I probably am not because a real jerkhole doesn't think that he's a jerkhole, does he? Therefore by realizing that I am a jerkhole, I'm in fact negating that very realization, am I not? So, given that formulation, what do you? What do you? What's your initial reaction to that? Do you buy it?
0: I feel, I, I feel it's a, a false dichotomy. Okay. Uh, so, I guess, uh, at least for one's own uh, personal morality, um, I guess you you start to realize when you're you're interacting with other people if your your morals are actually resulting in the, the beneficial encounters that you want with other people, um, and so you either have uh, you've got a, a set of axioms and people are really unhappy about them and you are a jerk. Um and you don't even realize and you're like, "Oh, well those people are just jerks." Yeah. Um not not knowing that every the fact that everyone is a is means that you're a jerk and they're all responding to you in that kind. There are those people who have realized that like as this particular axiom goes, um, and that they stop doing these things. And then there, I think there's definitely a place in between, a liminal space, where you start to learn these things, but you're still doing jerky things, and so you're still the jerk hole.
1: And you're kind of making progress away from being a jerk, right? Right. Yeah, and you could be like cool in one way, and also a jerk in another way, right, at the same time. So maybe there's a, there's a number of ways to get out of this. I think you're right. It is a false dichotomy. I kind of think that there are some people who suspect that they're jerks and actually are jerks, but don't completely understand, maybe because they they haven't been given enough tools, how how and why they're jerks, you know? So maybe just suspecting that you're a jerk doesn't get you off the hook.
0: Or once again, you could uh, totally embrace being the jerk because you think that what you're doing gets you what you consider to be the good and you can say yeah oh yeah yeah. i'm solely a jerk um but it gets results and and that's what they consider the good in this case
1: yeah you know it also i think there's some people who are pretty cynical and they think everybody's a jerk why shouldn't i be a jerk right they're Mm -hmm. they're laboring under a certain kind of misanthropy or paranoia about um, other human beings and so that justifies for them that jerkish behavior You know, I'm also reminded before we jump into the cases of something that I've seen as a professor over, you know, the last 20 years, I, I have colleagues who complain about students and, you know, the students, they don't listen in class and they're not engaging with the material and all that. And then I've observed their classes and they behave in jerkish ways towards their students. You know, they act like, oh, we're reading Plato and, and Plato's so much beyond all of you rumdums, you know, who aren't philosophy majors, you know, you business majors or fashion majors or communication majors. And then they're really surprised that the students Students don't like them and don't spend a lot of time reading the text that they've just talked up, you know, the difficulty and inaccessibility of. Right. And, and then the students, you know, it's sort of like a feedback loop, right? The students are unenthusiastic or hostile and then they they, you know, come back at the students and they're. They talk down to them or they're, you know, arbitrarily picking on one student or another. And it makes for a really bad classroom dynamic. And then, you know, they don't realize that they're, they're essentially the catalyst causing that because you can take the same set of students and a different instructor. And a different instructor who is like, oh, you know, this is difficult stuff, but we're going to work our way through it. And I think this is really valuable. I hope you find it's valuable. Here's some resources to help you. Oh, you've made a mistake. You're not a dummy. This is a common mistake that students make in, in doing this. Let's walk our way through it. And the students respond usually positively to that. And then it creates a, a positive feedback loop. I've seen a lot of my peers... Um, just, you know, blame the students for everything. And it's like you were saying, right? If, if everybody else around you is the jerk hole, no, it's probably not them. It's probably you, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Uh, and then, I guess the, the only other, like, quadrant, and I probably not an exhaustive list, is when you have people from really different backgrounds oh, and there yeah, are certain yeah. expectations, um, and and one person... Coming from a, a totally different paradigm on um, things that he's acting in a very moral expected way, yeah. And they're not. For example, I had a, a friend um, who was an engineer from India, um, and he, I, I, was having some people. We went out to a bar for a birthday. Okay. Um, for is my birthday, and on um, usually at least in the United States, kind of the idea is the. The birthday person usually drinks for free, or at least gets at least one uh free drink. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the night, you know. And, uh, apparently his axiom was that the birthday person buys the other's drinks. And so I was expecting him to pay for my drink, and he was expecting me to pay for his drink. And it's just like, What's going on? So here? So the bill
1: comes and both of you are looking at each other like, okay, come on. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
1: I've heard that for for other countries as well. Um, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but I had a, a German friend who told me that that was the case in Germany, and so like you you avoid going out on your birthday because you don't want to pay for things. Ah! Uh, but I I think that's actually a great point too. There are a lot of ways in which um, what would we call them cultural differences of norms. cultural norms, yeah, uh, could, yeah, could 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 lead to significant um, misunderstandings of of people being jerks. And then because we get, we typically get hostile or angry towards jerks or withdraw from them, there's a good chance for other people to see us as being jerks as a response, right?
0: Right. I guess it comes down to that uh, communication breakdown. It's always the same.
1: You know, and in the cases, that we've got here, I think that is the problem for quite a few of them, is a, is a lack of effective communication. Things are being communicated, but they're not the messages that the other person actually <laughs> wants to hear.
0: Right. So maybe let's uh, yeah. jump right into it. Or, let's or, do case oh, number one, yeah. Case number one, okay. Um, am I the jerkhole for telling the truth and exposing a web of lies my wife has spun? So, my wife has been lying a lot lately. She is obviously conscious of people's feelings, and she uses white lies to shift the blame onto others to lessen the blow of a situation, always to her benefit. She will find herself in situations where she wants to back out of weekend plans with her friends, or explain why she did something seemingly rude, etc. But she always blames me. My husband doesn't want me to leave this weekend. Sorry he's being such a jerk. Or I only screenshotted this conversation we had because my husband told me he wanted to see it. Sure, I can handle someone confronting me about that stuff far better than she can. She has high anxiety when it comes to confrontation. But I'm really sick of being her scapegoat and letting people think I'm a selfish jerk. I was watching our kids this weekend while my wife hosted a bachelorette trip for her friends at my wife's aunt's lake house. Last night, my wife calls me and says I can come over with the kids rather than wait till early this morning like planned. I get to the lake house and the girls are still out at a bar somewhere, so I let myself in and put the kids to bed. My wife's aunt Texts her after seeing me on her security cam and tells her she is upset that I was there. That's weird to me, because she and I get along very well, and I'm even renting a house from her. She has really high anxiety, but she manages it really well most of the time. She then texts me this morning and begins yelling at me about how I got no right to invite myself over and that I'm a bad father. Naturally. I'm shocked and asked her what she meant. Turns out my wife texted her saying she didn't know I was coming over and that I'm an incompetent father and she had to help me because I don't know how to watch our kids. I told her that was not true and that my wife invited me to come because she knows it was closer to my work and I could sleep in rather than get up early to bring the kids. I, of course, confronted my wife about why she would lie about me and say things like that about me. She then goes and gets mad and says that she was going doing damage control in the situation and that it was far better her aunt is mad at me than her. So now we're fighting because I, of course, don't appreciate being put in that situation, but my wife thinks it was a necessary sacrifice to keep her aunt happy with her. So. TLDR. Wife told her aunt to lie to save face. Aunt confronted me. I told the truth. Wife is now mad at me. What do you think, Greg? Well,
1: this this is an interesting one and there's a lot to unpack here. I mean I at first I don't think that the person, the guy, is the jerk at all. I think clearly the wife is is a jerk in this case. And the, the interesting question is, well, how and why, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's telling that this is not just like one situation that's a completely out of the blue one off sort of thing. But it but it sounds like this is part of a, a dynamic and that it, it may have like hit the last straw, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back sort of sort of thing. I mean, what's what's your view on this one?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm with you here as well. That you know, the husband is not the jerkhole here, um, and there there's a a history of of bad actions in the past. And specifically, um, I see two major things. One is just kind of lying. Um, in general, is usually not the go-to. And if that is your your regular modus operandi, then you know that that allows you to easily do larger lives yeah um,
1: i think that there's something about this though you know like so let's say you are a couple and you're like oh mm-hmm. man it's the end of the week we're both really tired we just want to like order a pizza and watch a show rather than go to this uh event that we're signed up for and people are expecting us and now you talk about it right and right. You're, and you're like okay both of us are cool with this we're gonna we're gonna come up with some and it's it's a lie we're going to come up with some justification. We'll say that uh, one of us um, fell down and hit their head. You know? <laughs> Just make up something, right? And uh, you know, then then you know, we we obviously can't go. There's there's a I don't know what what would we call it. There's there's like consent there. There's agreement. There's there's a working something out together. Whereas let's say it's you and me. Right. And we we (laughs) say that we're going to go on and do a radio show. And then instead of uh, I I flake out and instead of um, telling the station manager that I flaked out, I just shift the blame to you completely. And you don't even know that I'm shifting the blame to you. (laughs) That sounds more like this situation. Right. So it's not just the lying. It's I, this sounds a little weird, but it's the lying without having gotten somebody else to co-sign it or to consent to it.
0: Right, um, you know, because the whole idea of like, if you're in a marriage, this is a partnership. Yeah, is it not? And that you're like, there are certain things, especially if you kind of like know what your partner would do in a certain situation. Yeah, um, you might be able to make certain decisions for them, um, but uh, it seems that he's not happy about the, the state of the situation and yeah the, the whole idea of making these excuses um and shifting the blame without his permission that he can do that it's like it's one thing to like uh, go to a party and you you say like okay to your your partner okay on um, when when i start sneezing that is the um uh, the sign that we, we need to get out of this party so uh, i'm i'm just i'm done with it and so, yeah yeah you know, politely excuse ourselves um but like there, there needs to be communication of what is an acceptable uh, sacrifice. I guess you'll you'll make for that particular relationship. And obviously, one person is is making this uh, decision without their partner's consent, and that's uh, not conducive for the long term relationship. Do you think
1: it matters in a case like this, like how? damaging the lies are i mean some of the things like saying that somebody's an incompetent father that's that's pretty heavy stuff right that's harsh yeah yeah
0: uh yeah uh, i guess yeah it's it's one thing to like oh you know he was he was feeling under the weather today or something yeah but uh, like that's a, a pretty big value judgment that you just throw out there as a way to save face um you know i guess i don't Particularly uh, value reputation all that much, but um, there are some there are some
1: aspects of it that could kind of get you in trouble if you're if you're throwing around accusations of being a bad parent. You know, maybe social services gets called, or
0: right. You know, there are definitely dispreferred uh, things that are going to happen later. Yeah, if that that is a, a known expectation about you.
1: What about the anxiety thing? Um, one could make the case that, okay, uh, his wife, his, his sister-in-law, they both suffer from anxiety. Maybe that gets them off the hook for, um, their particular behavior and mostly the wife in this case. Right. Mm -hmm. And the wife is clearly anxious about how people view her. She doesn't want to be the one who's viewed as the baddie.
0: Right. Um, I guess, as far as I can tell from this uh that that confrontation is the the major trigger for her anxiety um but just because you have a a medical condition isn't an excuse for you doing bad things, yeah, and what I see here is her uh executing bad things by telling these lies and especially um. Calling him a bad husband or a bad father on uh, in order to to save her that discomfort, I know that anxiety can be really crippling um but you need to find a better way to deal with that than also causing harm.
1: you know it's interesting now that I think about it, so if she's using this mode of behavior, which is you know borderline abusive to deal with her anxiety toward that that, that's felt towards other people and what they think of her, you would think that it would also it would be counterproductive in some way because it would lead to at least some anxiety about how her spouse feels, whether he's gonna like stay with her, how he views her, you know? It's it's sort of like um I don't know. I mean, it's, again, I go back to like students, students who often say, oh, I can't get these assignments done because of my anxiety. But then they're very worried about how you um, how you look at them as well as as an instructor. You know, maybe some responses to anxiety are they're rational in a certain level, but they're also irrational on a higher level. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, like- I know I've I've got a little anxiety myself, and but I do have certain coping mechanisms to to deal with it. I know it's, it's it feels really uncomfortable. Yeah, um, it, is, it is a very strong physiological response to it. Um, but uh, I, I guess in my case, I I don't see anywhere where I'm going to. Uh, start using that excuse to to hurt other people yeah
1: i mean do you think that there's a duty if you're in a a close relationship so it could be like a a marriage it could be like uh, a long-term partnership it could be a close friendship that if you are and we'll, we'll broaden it from anxiety to other things if you're if you're suffering from something that causes you to every once in a while Um, go off course and do something that's that's harmful to the other person do you have a duty to like get that under wraps in some way you know to start going to therapy or finding as you said coping mechanisms to to not necessarily to completely root it out but at least you know Mm -hmm. minimize what happens
0: i would say yes as well as um when you do it you should realize that these things like in retrospect, you should see that these things aren't oh. good actions. And so, if you're yeah. you're asserting that this is a good thing that you've done this, um, I guess I would have a, a problem with that assessment. That that's an interesting still yeah, a bad yeah. thing. And and her idea that this is a, a good thing that this absolves her of any guilt for this that's a problem uh, is yeah, yeah. is a, definitely a problem. Okay, she's, she's not working towards bettering or even acknowledging that there's anything wrong here
1: yeah do you think that um the fact that there's kids um raises the stakes because the kids are observing this interaction between mom and dad um hmm. i mean in a way differently than say like pets would pets pets don't care if you yeah, i mean you can yell at each right, other right and right right you don't like that but <laughs> they're not picking up bad character traits as being right. normal you know
0: I guess if, if that's within your shadow chips and I'd say as yet, I'm not quite sure if that is actually the, the truth in this particular example, okay. but yeah, that's that definitely not something that one would want to model a relationship around.
1: Okay. Let, let's go on to the next one. The next one's a bit shorter and this one's uh, i I'll be, I'm curious to see what you make of this one. Am I the jerk for making the best of my work trips? Um, am i the jerk hole for taking advantage of work trips to ride my bike in new places over the last six months i've started to having to travel a fair amount for work during the trips i do my best to ensure that it's as short a trip as possible for example if possible i'll fly in on a monday afternoon work tuesday then fly out first thing wednesday morning Recently, I've made it a habit of bringing my road bike on these trips. The bike box can be checked for free. Before my trip, I'll find some local route that I want to do. I'll adjust my schedule to get my ride in, often starting at 5 a.m. This has been irritating my wife. She thinks that I'm going on many vacations because I'm bringing my road bike. I've made the argument that I'm not adding any time to my work trips as I'm not staying over additional days to do these rides. Um, this is an, this is an interesting one. And at first my temptation was to say, no, he's totally not being the jerk hole at all. Um, Mm -hmm. it's an overreaction. But then as I thought about it more, I thought, well, maybe there's, maybe there's something to this. What's, what's your view, Dan?
0: Yeah. For the, for the action itself, it's not a bad action. I would, I would call the action itself, not a jerk hole, but um yeah i felt like there's something more to this and i don't think it's the the surface reason but it's more along the lines of i feel how uh the wife can feel left out in one of these experiences that her husband's going on and doing all these fun things out of town without her um and once again you know you're uh you're married you're in a partnership and she's feeling like oh he's getting all these vacations in without me yeah um why don't i get a vacation and uh, why is all like if you're not prioritizing that relationship and i feel like there there's a
1: yeah place
0: there where where a a sliver has been entered in
1: this might be one of the cases where we don't actually have enough information to make a really great decision about it because we do want to know why. So he he's saying she thinks I'm going on mini vacations. Why should that necessarily bother her? Like if I can tell you that if my wife wanted to go on mini vacations while she was um, going to a conference or something like that, I'd be totally cool with it. Um, in fact, I, I'd probably encourage it. So why? Does she feel like he's doing something without her and she's missing out on it? Or maybe um, it's something that they should be doing together or if she's not having fun, he shouldn't be having fun. We don't actually know from from this um, this little vignette, do we?
0: Right. Yes, I have to like I said, the action itself as as described. Yeah. Um. Is is not a bad action in and of itself. It actually health.
1: strikes me as a positive action. He's doing something thoughtful. It's healthy for him. It's, you know, I mean, pick. The, the, imagine if it was instead. So. When I have this layover, I try to find the you know closest strip joint that I'm going to like sit around in and blow money <laughs> and drink drink liquor and look at other other you know people and you know this isn't that this is a guy getting on his bike at five in the morning <laughs> to ride around. I mean, not the sort of thing I'd want to do anyway. But um, you know, I could see like going hiking or going to a museum. Those things strike me as like, well, you're you're improving your life. You're doing something. Productive, um,
0: as well as he gets to do something that would, if you pursued it outside, would cost them as a married couple money. So right? That there's a, yeah. That benefit there. Yeah. Yeah. He's pursuing his goals. Um. But yeah. Once again, there's there's definitely something else here. Um. That is left unknown.
1: So maybe the, a lesson that we can take from this that I, I had no idea we were going to learn. is is oftentimes when we get these scenarios, we, we really have to have more information, and we should exercise a certain restraint in making judgments, um, and puzzlement may be where we wind up rather than a clear judgment.
0: Right. So, uh, shall we move to yeah. the next one? Yeah, <laughs> <All laughs> this right. one's very funny. So, am I the jerk for eating someone else's Chipotle order? So, like manna from heaven. that. This happened a year ago. I still feel weird about it. So one day, in the afternoon, I was starving. I was watching some TV when someone knocked on the door. When I opened the door, there was a Chipotle delivery man outside holding a delivery. Without a second thought, I took it, thinking my parents probably ordered it for me. As soon as I closed the door, I rushed to the table and ate it super quickly. I was very hungry. The delivery was very good, and once I had finished eating it, I went back to watching TV. A half hour later, I heard a knock on the door. When I opened the door, I saw a regular dude who asked me if a Chipotle package might have come by here by accident. Immediately, I was horrified. He knew it too from my eyes and said, You ate it, didn't you? He didn't look mad, just empty. Feeling super bad, I said yes, and offered to even pay for what I ate. Instead, he just said it was fine and left. Am I the jerk for eating someone else's Chipotle order by accident? I don't know if accident is is wholly warranted here.
1: Okay, uh, why not?
0: He, he, he made an assumption. Um, and we know what uh, happens when you make an assumption. Right. You make a, a jerk out of you and me. Um, and so at least there is like a little bit of a a silver lining to this uh, rain cloud that he did own up to it immediately and he offered restitution. Um, But he really should have actually checked if someone was ordering him and not just assumed that food coming to his house was going to be his.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit intrigued by this. Why is he so torn up about it a year later, you know? It seems to have really stuck with him. And, I mean, if it, if it had really stuck with him, you know, the guys in his apartment building, you would have thought he could have, like, ordered Chipotle for that guy and sent it over. You know, made, if he really wanted to, to make restitution, it seems like an easy easy way to do so rather than to just mull it over and feel bad for a year. Now that doesn't make you a jerk. That just makes you, I don't know, poorly adjusted or, you know, uh counterproductive when it comes to your own personal development, maybe. Um it strikes me maybe as a pretty good idea. He was kind of looking incident. for some Go ahead.
0: Absolution. Like he he offered to pay or buy uh some more Chipotle for him, but the guy denied that. And yeah, so maybe yeah. he was looking for um, hey, I can do this so we can we can go back to an equal point. But now he just has to live with the fact that he did something <laughs> that he doesn't think is good, and he sees his neighbor every once in a while, and every time he sees him, he's like, gosh, I really should have bought him some Chipotle. Why he doesn't just do it as like a random act. Exactly, yeah.
1: I mean, and it's a pretty trivial thing. It's sort of like taking somebody's parking space for an hour, or um, I mean, opening somebody's mail is actually, you know, a federal offense. I think, right? Although you could just, well, I, I didn't, I didn't know it was yours. Um,
0: well, it's not technically the mail.
1: Oh, is it? It's not the like you get it a letter. It's a Chipotle delivery. Oh no, no, I'm a, saying if uh, we, analogies to this, right? Oh,
0: okay, sure, yes. So
1: yes. It, it seems like you know, fairly trivial stuff. Like, imagine you open open mail for yourself thinking that it's yours and it's the neighbor's, and it's actually just junk mail that you're going to throw out anyway, and and they would probably throw out too, you know? This seems to be kind of, like, on that level. Um, It's almost like, or like not holding the door for somebody. You're worried about not holding the door for somebody a year later, you know? Yeah. That seems a little weird to me.
0: I actually have that issue. Um,
1: of holding, holding regularly.
0: No, about uh, opening other people's mail, because my next-door neighbor, on my address ends in a nine, his address ends in a seven.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And his first name and my first name are the same. Are you serious? I, <laughs> oh. No. <laughs> Sorry, yes, I'm very serious. Uh, um, so every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going through the mail, and you're just like, oh, it says, Dan, Dan. Dan, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. why do I have something from Disney? <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, so so I think this one's pretty straightforward. Is he a jerk? I don't think so. What do you What do you say? Uh,
0: he's a little bit of a jerk. Okay. I, I feel like him just assuming <laughs> that food that arrives at his door is absolutely his, especially after I don't know if you like used any of the the mobile apps for ordering food. Oh,
1: we, we, we've seems... had people sometimes just walk off with our food.
0: <laughs> you know? Right. Um, But there's a myriad of problems that I found with these apps. Yeah. And, and there's always, it's better to double check.
1: That's true.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So maybe maybe he had he, he had uh, a duty of due diligence or something like that. I, I kind of right. like this idea of adding the category, um, not like a complete jerk hole, but kind of a jerk hole, you know?
0: Yeah. More of like, oh, what was it? Uh, the difference between like what murder and manslaughter. Oh, one, right. One right. has to have like premeditation uh, and, and forethought, uh, whereas the other one's just like, well oh, yeah, yeah. Screwed up real bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that I I mean those are much more serious than this but oh yeah. yes.
0: But but there's definitely that on um, either omission or commission acts of omission or commission that you're you're um uh, or you're doing something uh specifically because you intend to harm versus doing things just because you weren't very good about it.
1: Yeah, there's I mean there's also like negligent homicide that's in there, kind of in that spectrum um, where you should have thought something through but didn't. Yeah. Well, let's look at the next one. This this is one that is very close to my heart as a cat lover. Uh, am I the jerk hole for refusing to give up my cat even though my fiancé is allergic? Me and my fiancé moved in together in 2019. I've always been a pet person. My fiancé is not. And he finally agreed to let me get a cat last year, provided I do all the work to take care of it. I agreed and happily feed the cat, clean the litter box, take him to the vet, etc. Shortly after we got the cat, my fiancé started having allergies. Nothing life-threatening, but he says he has trouble sleeping at night due to a stuffy nose. He takes medicine and everything, but still says sleep is still hard. He gets about seven to eight hours of sleep almost every night, which is how much he slept before we got the cat, but he says he feels more well-rested when not sleeping in our apartment. I suggest that he go to the doctor to look at other options to deal with the allergies, but he won't set up an appointment. The allergies don't bother him at all during the day, so I think he just forgets about it. I'm constantly vacuuming, washing the sheets, not letting the cat into our bedroom, etc., in order to try and help, but pet dander is next to impossible to get rid of. After a particularly bad night of sleep, my fiancé asked me to rehome the cat. I refuse because I think it's wrong to give up an animal unless absolutely necessary and we both made a commitment when we adopted the cat. Also I think my fiance's allergies are something he can live with since he usually gets enough sleep and I feel like he hasn't tried every option to deal with it better. The cat is also a rescue and has been abandoned before. As a result, he is very attached to me and follows me everywhere. I would feel absolutely terrible giving him up because I know he wouldn't do well with the adjustment. My fiancé is upset because he feels like I'm choosing the cat over him. I hate that he's not sleeping as well as he could, and I really want him to be as comfortable as possible in his own home. But at the same time, I can't imagine giving up the cat. Am I the jerkhole? This one strikes me as a genuine moral dilemma, although I, I, I do have feelings about who the jerk is in this case.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: what, what's your take?
0: So let's talk about the moral dilemma first. So we've got two different competing uh, goods, I guess. We can Seemingly
1: competing, I think, is part of yes. the problem.
0: Yeah. Right. And so you've got um, either the well-being of one's relationship um or the the well-being of this pet that you have made a commitment to take care of yeah uh and so i don't know i guess how do you see those two intermingling i think the
1: well-being of the relationship part is also got the weight of you know the well-being of of the fiance, right so there's two things on that side and you could say that one signifies the other so her her taking as seriously as her fiancé does his capacity to get sleep is for him signifying whether he, whether she, cares as much about the relationship as as he does. And he, he's really the one who's, who's forcing the moral dilemma and saying, you know, it's either this or that, right? And then she's the one who's feeling the moral dilemma, Um I kind of think it's not really a moral dilemma. It's a it's a seeming moral dilemma, one that's being imposed by the fiance. And I think the key right here is that she says, um, "I suggest that he go to the doctor to look at other options," but he won't make an appointment. Right. So that right. that right there is telling to
0: me. Um, yeah, the, there 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 are two actions that are happening here. We've got the um, the, the the woman who. Um, is has the cat and um, seems to be doing everything she possibly can. Yeah. Um, in order Very to clearly. actually, yeah, yeah. um, make sure that both the relationship as well as the cat are happy. Um, and and there's a disconnect or a, a, a discontinuity between w- the amount of effort that she's going in to do this as the fiance is going in to do this. And so, yeah, absolutely, what you said. The whole. Um, decided not to go to the allergist um, and and thus he's he's not doing enough work to actually try to resolve this without going to basically the nuclear option here
1: yeah yeah that's a good point um i mean i know people who have allergies in in to, to pets that are in their homes and you know, find ways to to live with it, um, and they do that in part because they mm-hmm. they value either the person who's attached to the pet or they value the pet themselves. So, I mean, it seems like the the boyfriend or the fiance rather is not. I mean, she says he's not really a, a pet person. Right. So uh, maybe he's he's just not into the. He maybe he doesn't understand the value of the the pet. It also, I mean. If if the cat wasn't a rescue who's been abandoned before and very attached, um and that she she, you know, thinks that he wouldn't do well with the adjustment, I think it would be an easier case. They could consider um having somebody else adopt the cat, but I don't know about this one.
0: You know? As well as just the whole idea of once you enter into that agreement to um, take care of an animal that is not something one should enter into lightly uh just yeah. because he's uh might have not realized like the full weight of this thing but like it's, yeah. it, to uh remove yourself from that argument um or that that uh, agreement uh is, is not what you would call like um excellent. <laughs> of a pet owner
1: it reminds me so when i was in graduate school down in carbondale illinois i i lived in a trailer park for about four years because it was you know super cheap and there were a lot of other students either undergraduates or graduate students who who lived in trailer parks as well for same reason it was super cheap and and uh many of them would adopt um puppies or kittens and then it was mostly the undergraduates. They, they were typically like from the Chicagoland area and they'd gone down to Southern Illinois because um, it was you know, cheap in-state tuition and it was a place that they could go to. And it was known for being a party school. So I think that was an attraction to quite a few students. They also had some, some programs that were particularly good. But quite a few of these students, especially with kittens, would adopt a kitten and then have it with them. And then when they moved home, they just left it in the trailer park to, to go wander around, look for food on its own. Uh, I actually ended up adopting uh, one of them myself, um, who was you know very tame, and, and my my cats I actually got along with. And uh, he, he was clearly somebody's pet who'd just been abandoned. And there were many of these. And you could see it like happening every end of the spring semester. There would suddenly be all these... these not feral, but abandoned um, adult animals uh, wandering around, mostly mostly cats. Um, and I think that that showed a, a real lack of maturity on their part and made, you know, effectively makes them the, the uh, jerk holes in, in cases like that. Now, the, 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 the um, fiancé, I don't know if he's maybe, – maybe we need that classification. He's kind of a jerk hole in this case. You know, I don't think she right. is at all. I think she's, she's making a real bona fide effort to uh, make the situation. the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I, I can't even imagine uh, just abandoning one of my pets. Yeah. I, I've had cats and dogs my entire, most of my life. And, oh man, <laughs> I couldn't... <laughs> Yeah, no, that, I don't even want to think about that. I
1: will, I will tell you something, and and some of the listeners might think, oh wow, this guy's really a softie because of it. But um, I, you know, when I was living in the trailer park, I had my cats, and they were, I would let them outside, but I would keep them on like long clothesline leashes. Because I didn't want them wandering around everywhere in the trailer park because it was kind of dangerous um, for mm-hmm. for animals and every once in a while my my cat, whose name was little boy, and he was he was gigantic he grew to be about twenty five pounds um and he um, he would get get loose. He was very strong and he, he wanted to, like, check things out. So he'd get loose and I would have to, like, walk up and down the rows calling for him. And then he'd, you know, like, trot out and you know he'd be happy. And he, But I, I'd be worried sometimes that, like, what if he got lost and he was missing me and doesn't know where he is and nobody's taking care of him, you know. And uh, that really got to me that 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 sense and and i think some people have the opposite of that they're like screw it i you know they're all out of my hair you know yeah. but that's that's an antipode how i feel from about about the animals that i've committed to
0: right i've i've got i've had and still do a very strong emotional attachment to my cat or my pets specifically my cats i was yeah <laughs> family used to call me when i was
1: younger uh, dan the cat man you know i will say and leading into our next one, which is about spiders. Yeah. So I've had a lot of different kinds of pets. I've had dogs. I've had cats. I've had guinea pigs. Um, I've actually had pet spiders in kind of a way similar to the case that is going to be talked about here. Not like tarantulas, but like just go out and you know get a crab spider and put it in a, a jar and keep feeding it. I didn't feel the kind of closeness and worry about it with you know, arthropods as I, as I did mammals. Um, Mm. and I think maybe that's reflective of something. I think if I were to get like a snake, I don't think I would get as attached to it as, as I did cats or, you know, fish. I, I don't think I would get it as attached to them.
0: Um, so this last one here is, uh, my daughter is 16 and my son is 14. My son and my husband are both arachnophobes, and whilst my husband is okay with dealing with spiders, my son absolutely cannot be in the same house as a spider. Every time he sees a spider, he needs someone to kill it, or he'll do it himself if it's slow. Then he asks us to get pet control to hopefully kill any eggs or any other spiders. My daughter has always loved animals, and more specifically spiders. She has always wanted a pet tarantula, but we've always said, no way. The thing is scary and can bite. No, not to mention the costs. We already have two dogs and a cat. Recently, my daughter had been, has been finding random spiders and catching them and bringing them into the home. I know about this, and my husband said, listen, as long as I never have to go into your room, I'm fine with it. However, my son did not know about this because he never goes into his sister's room, even though he's right across the hall from each other. There were a lot of spiders, and she kept them in plastic containers. She had to feed them by opening the lid. One day, my son was in his room, and a spider from his sister's room got in. He ran out and into his sister's room and found two medium-sized spiders on the wall. He he was terrified and ran out of the house and texted me, saying he was going to a friend's house, that he's been staying there for two days. They're close family friends, so it's okay. But he has refused to come home, saying it's infested with spiders. My son has, in, my son was in complete anxiety and couldn't come home without the spiders gone. I put my foot down and told my daughter that we're going to get rid of every single spider. She was in hysterics. But to me, spiders are simply not worth my son being in constant anxiety in his own home. She's screaming, uh, favoritism, and saying that we favor him because he's a boy. She also said that it's his mental issue. He, so he should just deal with it, and that it's her room and her life, and she can do what she wants. So,
1: so, I think that um, in this case, I don't think the mom is being a jerk. I, I think, and I think that um, there probably is favoritism being shown. But that's not enough to make you a jerk in this case, given the level of anxiety that's that's being displayed here. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I think there is a difference in the animals. It's different. Like if somebody had um, like, you know, like a cat phobia and you had a cat in your room, I don't you know, and, and you're strongly attached to it. I don't know about that one, you know, or a ferret or some other mm-hmm. mammal or maybe even certain birds. But spiders I mean I like spiders I used to I used to um, you know deliberately uh, feed trapdoor spiders crickets to watch them and, and that sucks for the crickets right but <laughs> you know circle of life and all, all that and I used to uh, catch you know crab spiders and have them in my room and let them crawl on me and I, I have a half-brother who's had tarantulas and you know tarantulas are actually you know kind of kind of cool and they don't really they're not they're probably not going to bite you you know um but i don't know i i think that in a case like this um if it was if it was like adult roommates maybe i would actually say the adult roommate needs to get over his anxiety but you know a kid who's arachnophobic whose sister has filled up her room of spiders <laughs> 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 you know? I mean, what do you think you know
0: <laughs> almost seems like uh nightmare um yeah it, yeah it
1: doesn't seem well thought out that's for sure
0: right so i guess my first idea was like as a parent one has a duty to try and create a safe and healthy place for all of their children okay yeah uh uh other compromises can be made for her daughter and so she can find like potentially oh yeah put them out of the house put them in a shed outside someplace. Um, you know they're they're wild creatures anyways they know how to get through the the winters and whatnot yeah that's
1: Uh, actually a great idea
0: or um you know potentially there are local nature centers where she can uh, help like i know like i grew up with there's a place here in milwaukee called the urban ecology center Mm -hmm. that has a, a wide menagerie of different like local creatures that they keep as part of their their teaching tools uh i assume there's at least a couple spiders there as well i can't remember exactly but like there are other outlets for these things maybe she can have maybe she has a a friend that's also similarly interested in spiders and and knowing that their house has a problem with that so there are there are other potential options here
1: yeah this one also strikes me rereading it as a little bit fishy, right? If, yeah. if the son is arachnophobic and she says um, that her daughter has always loved animals, why more specifically spiders? I mean, is, it, is there something like sibling rivalry going on there maybe behind <laughs> the scenes? You know, like I, I'm going to stick it to uh, my, my brother who I know is bothered by this sort of thing. I also thought it was weird, too that she so she screams favoritism. I think there is favoritism there, and saying we favor him because he's a boy, she also said it's his mental issues. Now the mental issues, I think she's she's right about that, right and and that is something that she, it's kind of unfair to her, but they got to deal with it. But favoring him because he's a boy, I don't get that in, in this one. Do you?
0: Uh, without any extra context? Uh, there's nothing in here that specifically counts that.
1: Yeah.
0: But, um, but yeah, I was thinking about like, what, what are the things that one needs or like, what, what obligations do you have to your, to your family? Okay. Like in order to actually, we talk about like relationships earlier. It's like, what, what are the things that are required for those? And, uh, you know, I think there are definitely other things you can say like for a family especially the like the nuclear family unit what what are the the places where one gives in in order to maintain the health and happiness of all the people within that family unit
1: that's that's a good point um, and we could think of all sorts of analogous situations that don't involve pets or necessarily even phobias but could be like you know so like she's saying um, something that kids typically do it's her room and her life and she can do what she wants so you know like when we were kids um, we played our music you know arguably way too loud and and my mom didn't really like that. Uh, And now looking back on it as an adult, I think we were really jerks, (laughs) me and my sister, you know, playing heavy metal whenever we wanted to. We'd actually like, we, we lived out in, in, uh, uh, the town of Delafield at the time. So, you know, we lived in a subdivision, but it wasn't all that filled in. And we would, like, put our speakers in the windows, you know. So not only are we, like, in you know, the other neighborhood kids would come over and we'd skateboard or play basketball or whatever, but it must have really been awful for the neighbors, you know, for the the neighbor adults who weren't right. into heavy metal. You know, because we got these kids doing this sort of thing, you know, and it's and it's kind of uh, thoughtless. I mean, they're having a good time with it, but not every everybody else is. So, right, you know, or, Wait, or
0: I get I get perturbed a little bit when people come uh, just play music in their car, just really
1: loud. Yeah. Well, now as an older person, I do too. You know, or when motorcycles are driving by and they're they're being really noisy, I don't like that either. You know? Uh huh. I <laughs> know I'm like, on the other side of the fence, right?
0: <laughs> like, usually I don't have a problem with someone just, like, driving by. But if they, like, drive on the street and then park and then just sit and listen to the music that's oh, really loud. right, right. It's like, why? Just, uh <laughs> Yeah, so, so
1: within any sort of living arrangement. I mean, we could talk about um, college dorms. We could talk about neighborhoods. We could talk about anything you want. There's some things that if you insist on doing, you're... You know, it is your place to do with what you want, but you are being a jerk to other people. Um, Here in the downtown, uh, if we have the windows open, quite often there is such a strong pot smell because you know laws aren't being enforced and people love to smoke pot and it doesn't really bother me too much because you know it it smells kind of hoppy like a like a decent ipa but it it bothers my my wife you know who's a little bit more sensitive to those those sorts of things and uh, if it bothers her well then that bothers me (laughs) so right you know and you could say well who cares? You know, it's just for a moment. It's uh, the wind is going to blow differently. It's just somebody walking down the street and you can say, well, maybe they shouldn't be a jerk like that, you know?
0: Hmm. Yeah, Or I guess this is one of the, the you know, the main things that you know, people have to deal with within. Uh, society in general what at what point do you stop looking at yourself as just a pure individual and when do you start looking at yourself as a part of a group and what is the the liminal area between there what are the you know uh, ethics are all about how one interacts and integrates with the people around them and if you're not doing that well um that is a great point yeah yeah you yeah, and, and it might not even—it
1: might not even be a group. There might be a difference that we have to unpack here as we're getting close to the end of the hour. Maybe we'll do this in a different show. There's like being in a group, and then there's like living in a community where you're actually not in a group with these people. You're not in the same family. You just happen to live in the same neighborhood or use the same streets. You still have a kind of moral obligation, right, to not be a, a jerk to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I don't think we're going to get through any more cases, but we will do more of these if people like this. I think they do, <laughs> judging yeah.
0: from the comments.
1: <laughs> so do you want to take us out with a, uh, a pithy quote?
0: We leave you today with the words of Harlan Ellison. My philosophy of life is that the meek shall inherit nothing but displacement, frustration, and ignoble deaths.